Hello, everyone. We want to start by thanking the author, Tom Walker, and Mountaineers Books, an independent nonprofit publisher of outdoor recreation, lifestyle, and conservation books, for the opportunity to give away one hard copy of The Wanderer, an Alaska Wolf's Final Journey by Tom Walker to one of our listeners. And the winner is Seeking Creations. Thank you to everyone who entered via our Instagram page. We appreciate you so, so much. Congratulations to the recipient and make sure to DM us your details and we will be sure to get that book out to you ASAP. Thank you everyone for listening. This episode of the Wolf Connection podcast is sponsored by Mountaineers Books and their newest release, The Wanderer by Tom Walker. Mountaineers Books was established more than 60 years ago to express and share the love of the natural world. A Seattle-based 501c3 nonprofit, Mountaineers Books publishes a wide range of outdoor and nature-themed topics, from adventure stories to wilderness memoirs, natural history to photography, and conservation to sustainable practices. Find them at mountaineersbooks.org. Keep in touch with the Wolf Connection podcast on our Instagram handle at the Wolf Connection Pod or email us your questions, comments, and guest ideas to podcast at wolfconnection.org. Thank you for your support and howls to you all. Welcome to the Wolf Connection Podcast. I'm your host, John Calvin. It is our pleasure to have an individual who hasn't been on the podcast before, but we met him in Colorado and went to Aspen. He is the Area 8 uh, Colorado Parks and Wife Colorado Parks and Wildlife <laughs> Wildlife Manager, uh, but he's been with the agency for 17 years. He's been the supervisor for four. He is Matt Yamashita. Matt, it was great to meet you up in Aspen. How are things going in Colorado right now for you? They're peachy. Colorado's great. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, there's a lot to cover, and a lot's happened since we had that event in March up until this point. So. Just before we get into your background and things like that, just if you can give everyone an overall update of where things stand with the reintroduction in terms of uh, there was legislation trying to veto the the re or there was a bill trying to stop the reintroduction this and that that got vetoed by the governor. So how how are you guys feeling right now at the agency now that things seem to be squared and pause should be on the ground by the end of the year? An awesome question. I don't think there's a very specific, easy answer. Um, you know, there, there's just as as associated with with this whole process. There's a lot of different emotions coming from different angles. Um, I mean, right now, I I think you can probably capture most of what's occurring everywhere every day with just some sort of a, a degree of nervous anticipation. Um, you know, just knowing that there's going to be a next step, a next part, a next phase to it, um, but not knowing exactly what that's going to be or how that's going to take shape. So, you know, there's a lot of busyness occurring. Just it's, it kind of changes as we're as we're trying to handle it. Um, but it, it's it's good. I mean, there's a lot of positives. There's a lot of there's every every emotion you can possibly think of. Insert that. And there at some point in any, every week. That emotion is felt by somebody in the agency working on something related to this reintroduction process. <laughs> Would you guys say CPW is 
understaffed, adequately staffed, just in a general sense, um, coming up on this big milestone? Are you looking for more people or, or where are you guys at with that? That's a it's a good question. And now I'd say there's probably kind of two portions of that um, just related to being a, the state wildlife management agency for Colorado. Arguably understaffed, um, you know, our, our wildlife resource, the needs of the resource, the any concerns related to that continue to grow as our population grows, um, people in the outdoors, recreation, etc. So we're kind of fighting an uphill battle in that regard. Um, related to the wolf reintroduction and wolf future wolf management process, I think we're in a pretty decent spot. Um, you know, the agency, we've prepped ourselves for what we're getting ready to undertake, hired on a lot of new staff, new personalities. I think we have the right minds at the table. So I think we're we're coming into this eyes wide open and we're, we're, we're attempting anyway um, to be as proactive and productive in what we're doing with, with this whole project. Yeah, that's really good to hear. And I, I, I think Stephen agrees with me too. I know he agrees with me on this. Um, you were just, when we had that panel in Aspen, really loved your calm, cool, and collectiveness and very to-the-point attitude that you had. And I think that's something that in some of these conversations are missing. It was very matter-of-fact. Uh, there were some questions. If, if those of you that have listened to the episode with the full panel, where Matt was really just describing, I feel like the basics of outdoor recreation, dealing with your pets in the outdoors in situations where there are apex predators, where Colorado already has bears and mountain lions. And so if you can't, I think, associate with, you know, or dealing with bears and mountain lions out there, you know, you should be able to handle wolves. So it's just, again, I want to commend you for for being, you know, everybody on that panel, you know, between Karen, Lenny and everybody else, we're very even keeled and, and progressive and moving the conversation forward. But from an agency standpoint for you to be there and to take the baton and really echo, I think what everybody needs to hear, uh, it's, it's commended. So I just want to thank you for that, uh, being someone who was just letting you guys speak. Thanks. I appreciate that. I mean, what are some of the things, uh, as we get into this, uh, I want to go, I do want to touch on your background so that people know what was it something from an early age for you that you wanted to ascend and be in, Colorado Parks and Wildlife was this a was this a career track for you? Did you grow up in Colorado? What was your background to get to this point in your life that you're you're sitting here on? Like Stephen said, really the precipice of an awesome milestone in in in, in this state and in the agency. Um, so my my background is Colorado native. I'm a fourth generation Coloradan. Um, you know, my family's been here for a long time. And I've kind of lived all across the state, you know, on the, along the Front Range Corridor, multiple municipality cities there. Um, I've lived in the mountains. I'm currently in the mountains of Colorado. I've lived on the West Slope over in Grand Junction area. So I've been in Colorado my whole life. I know Colorado. I know multiple aspects of what is Colorado. Um, I think I've, you know, that has formed an appreciation of the state and the, the multiple facets of the state for me. As far as me becoming a wildlife manager, um, my, my father actually worked for the agency back when I was a kid. So I grew up with knowledge of this agency, um, you know, ever since before I was alive for the, the 40 years of my life, I have known what this agency was, is, will become, et cetera. That's just part of my life story. Um, but interestingly, I, when I went to school and went to college, I was not studying to be a wildlife manager. I, I, um, actually when it was going into the pre-med route and, I got to that point in life where everybody has to kind of pick a lane and decided that I wasn't as interested in 
additional education um, and kind of wanted just to to get out there and explore the the grown up world, if you will. And so, you know, wildlife management just being in my blood, I was always uh, new new wildlife, new uh, wildlife related recreation, hunting, fishing, you know, hiking, um, all of the above, and kind of found this career path where I just jumped into it and never looked back. So, you know, 17 years later, here we are and, and still enjoying it. What's your, what does your day to day look like at uh, CPW? Now it's not as glorious as it used to be. Um, <laughs> you know, as a, one of the field guys, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's a lot, it's just, there's not nothing routine. There is no day to day per se. Um, every day's a new challenge. Every day's a new adventure, but there's everything from, you know, in our state, our officers are, are kind of unique in that they are also field biologists. So they do a lot of the field biological work. They're doing a lot of the collar collecting collar data. Um, they dabble on the aquatic side, the terrestrial resource side. Um, you know, we're also some of like as a referral agency for a lot of our, our community development, we write our, all of the comment letters on impacts to wildlife and the resource. Um, and then fast forward, we're, you know, we're law enforcement, we're the educational component. So we're doing all the public facing presentations. So it keeps us on our toes. It's, it's awesome. Um, you know, now in my, my current position, I kind of help our field staff. I, I facilitate that interface for them with our public. So uh, still get to touch it just, you know, and have, have kind of the, the finger on it, just not the exact same. Yeah. I've always been curious about that in, in terms of law enforcement, what, what is your scope of authority? Um, so for, you know, a lot of people across the, the country recognize us uh, under the more conventional term of game warden. Mm. That's what a lot of the other States, you know, and it's the same thing. Most of our law enforcement is primarily focused on uh, fishing game laws. So we're out there checking fishing licenses, checking hunters, um, making sure people are abiding by bag limits. We do have laws, you know, where that protect wildlife when it relates to harassment, other things. That's mm. kind of the scope of what we primarily focus on. Um, but, you know, especially here locally, we, we get trained and, and get a lot of exposure to other, your kind of your standard um, police type law enforcement and help other agencies, assist other really? agencies with, with those kinds of things. So what's something for you that that stuck out again, it's been 17 years, but was there ever an instance or, or something that, or, or a part of the job that really resonates with you throughout the course of your career? Oh, that's a really, really interesting question. I don't know if I get asked that frequently. Um, no, there, there are kind of just these pivotal moments in there that, um, you know, I can think back to, um, just being kind of the coordinator for, for one of our sheep trapping operations and, Fast forward, you know, 10 years after that and recognizing that that was instrumental in helping getting a sheep population established, growing it to where now it's a huntable population, um, you know, and it's that that just being the the kind of the person that helped get that started, that, that was unique. I think this kind of resonates in that same realm of being something that probably has longstanding impacts um, and then just being a part of a process like that that's going to be felt beyond my years with this agency. Emotionally, for you, where does this meaning the wolf introduction sit? Because, like you said, there's there's so many different emotions, and obviously, I'm sure you and and your colleagues and the agency go through them every day, every hour, every minute, whatever it may be. But what's if you could pinpoint an overriding thing that sits for you, especially being again with the agency for this long and now in a supervisor role, where where does something like this sit? It is, um, it's, it's a good question. Cause if you ask me on any given day, it's going to be a different answer, <laughs> but I would say overwhelmingly, right. <laughs> you know, there's, uh, the, the motion that arises more than anything 
is there's a, a certain degree of excitement associated with everything else. And whether that's nervousness, nervous excitement, um, some sort of a excitable fear or <laughs> whatever it is, there's some some degree of excitement just where it's more significant than just, you know, every other aspect of wildlife management. Um, there's a lot of unknowns associated with this, and that's a different thing than most me and my counterparts are used to. You know, we reflect on historical concepts, data management, et cetera. And this one, we don't really know. We don't know what we don't know. So that, you know, unknown in front of us, the fear, the anticipation, all of the above, it, it's there. What kind of what kind of fundamental issues are you guys preparing for in terms of specifically wolf reintroduction? I'm sure there are, of course, going to be issues that are that fall into the category of everyday CPW occurrences, things that people deal with with bears, mountain lions, coyotes, all sorts of other species. But specific issues to wolves that you are anticipating that you're putting that that extra effort and and pre-planning into either preventing or addressing that are very specific to this this species. There's probably three that stand out most prominently in in my mind. One of them is just that nexus with um we're a state wildlife management agency and currently this is a federally managed species. Got it. You know, so that just creates this degree of complexity there that don't know how that's going to sit for us in 12 months or in, you know, 12 years where that lands us. But that's a thing. Um, the the next one is obviously we've put, we've invested a significant amount of time and effort toward game damage, working with our livestock producers, our agricultural industry, and recognizing that there may be some impacts to their livelihood and seeing where that sits, how that resonates, you know, and trying to, trying to help both on both sides of the coin, you know, just make that a fit. If if there's a fit possible and trying to make that the best case scenario, um, given the, the situation. The last one for us is, and this isn't kind of an interesting one, because this one, um, this one changes almost, you know, almost hourly for us, is it's no secret our recreation industry is booming. Um, it will continue to boom. There's no nothing on the the charts that says we're gonna slow down anytime in the near future. And right now we, as an agency, are experiencing and responding to more human wildlife conflict. And I think this was a part of our panel discussion um, this past winter. It doesn't matter who you are um, in Colorado. I think a lot of people are, are aware that there are conflicts with wildlife on all fronts. And this is another one of those. Um, even in this regard, this one has some of those those conflicts that may not be real and recognized, but they're the it's the fear of the conflict. Um, and just getting that appropriate message out in front of the public on what should they truly be afraid of versus what is, you know, what what are things that are are unfounded and that they probably don't need to worry themselves with so much um, and how you prep for that. Yeah. What are what are the things that you mostly see in terms of the recreation aspect that you're dealing with? What are the incidents that you're speaking to with other wildlife? Because I know it's not just predators. Obviously, there's there's prey that people run into. So yeah. what is, what, what are sure. most of the things that you guys Literally deal with? Sometimes. Yeah, exactly. No, it's a good question. Um, you know, there's it, this, I guess in this business, there's really, um, it's the surprise, <laughs> you know, there, there's really the unexpected that are, are kind of, that's the only thing you can expect is the unexpected. And I think a lot of what we see though, is just, um, just kind of people not truly understanding wildlife behavior, um, you know, truly understanding what, what is, is detrimental to wildlife versus what is, 
is tolerable, um, how to interpret some of those those kind of biological signals. They don't really get wildlife, you know, um, behavior and and they can't interpret it, understand it to to where they can um, it can influence their behavior. And so, like, like an example of that is, people are I think in their minds they they assume that animals will run away if they're threatened or if they feel endangered, and they, that doesn't always Not happen. Always. <laughs> and a lot of times they they take advantage of that and they interpret that as well. That animal is, is wanting me or allowing me to get as close as possible. And they don't understand the, the threshold that may um, result, you know, where they break that threshold and, and suddenly pass into a realm of now that animal's on the defense. What are the biologists, researchers, the actually, can you tell us, speaking of Ellen, can you tell us what types of other jobs are, are being filled specifically related to this, this wolf reintroduction? Yeah, we um, so we do have we hired on a researcher that's specific to, to this whole wolf reintroduction, wolf future, wolf management in Colorado. Um, so that's, I mean, we have that in place. She's trying to figure out, you know, what studies are appropriate, what we need to be focusing on in the first years. And after the introduction, reintroduction has been successful, you know, where do we focus our efforts then? We also have, um, some conflict coordinator. We have a conflict coordinator position that was hired on already been working with landowners in the state, uh, specifically in the livestock, livestock industry to help them prepare, um, mitigate, help inform us of what materials are available out there, um, what, what, what things are productive, which ones we should be focusing on. And then we have additional um, full-time positions that have been approved but not filled related to some some conflict, other conflict coordinator, um, some management, field management folks, and then some game damage specialists that are, you know, they're they're supposed to help us inform our field staff on game damage investigations, go out there and help um, in our response times after uh, depredation events have occurred, those types of things. Yeah. You just, you just touched on my next question too, which is if you've, if you've gotten this far to to any degree, I know you say, said she was working on it, but what, what are the researchers on the team really going to be focused on in in the nearest future? To be determined, you know, we had a, um, we, we were on a call with, with some of these folks, some of these personalities here last week and, you know, there's really nothing's been defined yet and mm-hmm. set in stone. I think a lot of it's still adaptable and a lot of it's going to be based on, you know, we're still in the, the as close as we are to pause on the ground, we are still in the planning phases for so much of this and where their focus and efforts are is going to be determined based off of where these animals are released. You know, what, what do we have for game populations in those areas? Um, is it worthwhile to study their impacts on elk or is that really not a, a huge thing there because there are other prey species that are more significant? So right. I think a lot of that is is up up and coming. So what's so in that, just to piggyback off that, Matt, there's no as of this moment, obviously, because you guys are still in the planning stage, we don't know where where the wolves are going to be dropped as of yet. And then you guys are still figuring that out out obviously with the researchers and the biologists about what's the best way to do this in terms of where to drop them. Yeah, correct. Um, I mean, we've, you know, we've narrowed the focus and we continue to narrow the focus. Um, I think until the, the, the draft plan, which was made an official plan, you know, adopted by our commission here in the first week of May, uh, up until that point, a lot of it, we had highlighted maps. We had done some research and thrown it out there for reference, but none of that was something that was actionable where we as staff could actually take it and move it in any specific direction. Now that that plan has officially been accepted, um, you know, it's available on our website and, and people can reference some of what we're looking at. 
now that's the same information that staff is using to start kind of driving our conversations. Um, so we are hosting more specific meetings and, and discussion on, okay, this is where we, you know, these are the acceptable areas where wolves could go out of those acceptable areas. Now we need field staff to really go through and, you know, with a fine tooth comb nitpick and determine based on prey densities, based on conflicts, um, proximity to municipalities and roadways, where do we focus our efforts on identifying specific parcels, you know, looking so far as access during winter months, obviously, if this is, if the, the reintroduction is occurring primarily December through January, we're going to have snow on the ground, um, or hopefully we'll have snow on the ground, we're going to need to find adequate access, looking at, you know, roadways, everything else, all all inclusive, but we're we are taking each one of those one piece at a time and starting to narrow that focus. Is the entire population of animals that that you're going to be reintroducing, are they all coming from other wild populations? Are any of them in breeding uh, in you know breeding facilities or or sanctuaries of that kind, or they're all coming from other state wildlife wild populations of wolves? Correct. That that's yeah that that's what's been um, you know accepted as as part of our our plan management plan there. Um, you know, there's been a, there's even the discussion with the other states, with our neighboring states on where exactly they're coming from. Yeah, that's something that we weren't able to officially start soliciting some of the, those discussions until that plan was finalized. Um, you know, on just on that off chance that something was tweaked or or amended, <laughs> we didn't want to be dis- being in a discussion, you know, halfway through the the chapter book. And then go back and be like, oh, just kidding. You know, we're actually not serious about talking with you on, on wolves. Right. And we want to look to a different state for a different reason. I mean, are certain states yeah. just begging you to take wolves? It is interesting. You know, just some of the, even the, just the, the biological politics that are associated with that. You know, other states have other opinions and they have different management strategies as well. So trying to navigate through that has been, it's been a unique learning experience. Yeah. What are you, are you taking any information history lesson from the reintroduction prior what what and, and are you putting some stuff to the side because you guys are trying to I, it seems like Colorado's trying to take a different approach than what was previously done are you guys trying to go 50-50 on that what's what's Colorado's real aim in terms of how to manage this how to plan it how to put it into action a lot of i mean if you anybody that has any experience with some of these other especially the northern rocky mountain states um, if you look and reference our kind of the the contents of our draft plan, so much of it is a mirror image of what other states have in practice. Um, you know, it it is very much is taking what is known amongst these other states that are actively managing, have either reintroduced populations or have um, supplemental populations, other varieties of of you know wolf management, and we have taken that and adapted that to what we we believe is the a best fit for Colorado, but most of it's not original in nature. It, it's very much, um, you know, just a carbon copy of what has been successful or what we think may, you know, a version of that may be adaptable to what we've got here in Colorado. I don't know if I read this, but are, are they all coming from the United States or, or is Canada an option? Unknown. Um, Unknown. Good question. Yeah. You know, I mean, right now, the, the, st- the areas that are being highlighted are all you know states within the US um the primary focus is on the the northern rocky states so um you know Air, montana idaho everything north of us essentially here but I, I don't think it's been explicitly um 
stated that we won't look at other options outside of that. You know, there are other populations of wolves in, in the U.S. Obviously, once we cross international borders, there's some other paperwork and things that are associated with that. But um, I don't think any of that's been officially ruled out yet. It's just, you know, there's there's kind of a prioritization. Yeah, because I'm trying to think because there's, there's always, I don't know if you guys have I'm sure you have. Um, and you got, I want to say this too, on your, on the Instagram for CPW, you guys have done an excellent job of responding to comments, responding to people who are responding to the plan that's out, the stuff that's going on. You guys are very on the forefront of that. So again, that's something that I think is crucial, especially in this day and age, because comments can get lost in the shuffle and people don't feel heard. And I think that's something that, at least from my perspective, Colorado seems to be doing an excellent job of, of what are some of the we get off biologic for just a second. What are some of the social aspects that your yourself, the agency, your colleagues are encountering at, at, at this moment? Because I know the vote was very close in 2020. There's been bills that have come across that want to delay this, stop it altogether. So what socially are you guys witnessing out in the field, you know, even in, in your personal, you know, walk through Colorado that the, the public is trying to get information from you guys? What's the things that they're most afraid of or just want information on? The, uh, this issue, you're, you're correct. I mean, this issue is extremely polarizing just in that it, I mean, people have an opinion. Um, is one of those few topics that you, when you ask somebody, hey, what do you think of it? It's, it's not a shoulder shrug, I don't know response. It's a very pointed, yeah, yeah, this is awesome or no, this is terrible or they have an opinion. Um, it has definitely kind of brought that to the forefront on on where our communities are with things and what they how they feel about it, and I think it, it's uh, to a certain degree one of the the things that's been difficult is, you know, we in an ideal world we would love to have some sort of of consensus. You know, we'd love to have people all on board facing the same direction in order to make sure this something happens, um, or that you know that's kind of how you you get something to be productive. And, you know, we always understand, recognize that we're never going to get 100%, um, you know, a buy-in from anybody, but it'd be nice if we could still get a majority. And as was shown by the vote, it's kind of a split down the middle. And so right now, you know, that's where our struggle is, is when you look at the comments that are coming in on social media or, or that are coming into my office, there is no overwhelming, you know, majority on what people think, what people feel. And so how you are inclusive of 50% of them, you're also ostracizing the other 50% in whatever, you know, whatever tact you take, whatever response you, you produce, um, and just trying to figure out what that means and how that pushes us as an agency forward. It's difficult. It's, it is a tough thing to, to do. You want to be inclusive. Um, I think the biggest thing for us right now, or one of our struggles is, as I mentioned, you know, most of our staff, we're we're biologically trained in our skill sets. You know, we want to manage based on the biology. And so much of this is not biologically rooted. Uh, it has a lot of social, political, emotional ties to it. And those are very different from just the strict science, biological science behind it. Yeah. Yeah. I know we we feel like this is a unique situation in that can't really compare how this wolf thing plays out with any other species really to this level. But from your perspective as a wildlife manager, who's much closer to these, these concepts, are there other species you feel like uh, they, they amount to this much attention or at least polarizing attention? I mean, what's, 
What's the runner up? What's what's the runner up on the the polarization scale? No, I, I, I'll say you know upfront. No is the easy answer to yeah. that. I don't think you know in yeah. in all the species I have managed that I've worked with that I've been a part of discussions related to. There's not a single other species that um, kind of elicits this much attention. You know, from everybody. I, I don't think anything else out there is is, is this much of a focal point. Um, so that's unique in its own regard, just because of, of what wolves mean to people. You say the word wolf and it just means something. Yeah. So I think there's, there's no, no apathetic portion of the population. It's crazy. I mean, how did you feel when we, when the Aspen event was happening and it, and just, I mean, it was, again, it was great that you were there because there was a lot of, I think, respect for, for you and that you're in the, the area in area eight where, I think is on the Western, it is on the Western slope. So it's, it's good to have someone who knows that area, who's there, who can elicit this information. What was your general sense of being in that room and pardon me, seeing the collective amount of people that were there to at least listen to the information that was being given by yourself and a lot of the other experts that were up there on the stage. Do you feel that was a, is that, is this typical of what's been happening since 2020 in Colorado? Um, and do you think it's, you know, turning heads a little bit one way or the other? How do you, how did you sort of feel in that, in that moment or in that, on that evening? I think, you know, that event, um, that event was a kind of a pivotal moment for me just in, in what's happened since, since, you know, the vote, um, a few years ago, I think initially a lot of the discussions that were being hosted, a lot of the feelings that were being manifested were very much one side of the fence or the other. And there was less opportunity for education and for collaboration. I think that was a, yeah, you're either on my team or you're not, you're against me. And fast forward to this event, you know, that we participated in, um, we engaged with a lot of the the audience members afterward. And, you know, several of them were familiar faces and I kind of knew where they were coming from, but it was interesting just to hear their perspective. And like you mentioned, I, I think there was, um, a lot of willingness to listen to the other side of the story and what other people, you know, what their perspective was, that wasn't true. Um, even, you know, pre 2020, a lot of the discussion around about the topic, it wasn't, it was very much, um, one side or the other, you got to pick a side. And now I feel like we're moving into a realm where there are more and more people that are willing to at least you know, they may not necessarily agree or change their minds, but they're at least willing to um, tolerate and understand some of the concepts that are being presented there. And I think it's getting to us or getting us to a, a pretty decent point in management and just, you know, and that, that, now when I say management, that's not even wolf management. That's like public management, hmm. human management, yeah. and just getting people on board and getting them to to kind of align and help the cause rather than hurt the cause. Yeah, it seems like your position like you said, it looks like it's more people management as opposed to wildlife management because of everything that, that you, that intersects into all of these places that you're, you're managing, you know, the areas, the wildlife, things like that. Do you feel that that's, it's basically 75, 25 people (laughs) as opposed to animals. You can kind of leave the animals to do their thing. Oh, there's some days where it's 99, 100 (laughs) split. Um, (laughs) It is very much a human oriented, you know, we're, we're managing people around some of the the animal considerations, um, but that's just the the hand we've been dealt. You know, that's the world we live in, 
And there's still a place for wildlife. There's still a place for wildlife management. And there is definitely a place and room for human consideration in there. It's just, um, you know, it's kind of a, a moving target on what that looks like and, mm-hmm. and how that's going to end up. In the social tolerance realm, it's because I we've been following, obviously, on our on our social media about everything that's happening there. I saw Matt Barnes was there. They introduced, uh, there's a wolf license plate. I saw that was being introduced as, again, right. helping the funds for all of those license plates are going towards the rural communities, the the ranching communities that are going to be living in these areas where wolves are going to be dropped. I saw the governor. See, I mean, it's a great idea. I mean, it's 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 really such a good idea. Are Is that one of many things that you're seeing to bring both of these sides? And again, I don't want to say both sides, but the sides that are sort of, again, for or not really for wolves together in a, in a way that the conversations, like you say, can happen. Um, it seems as though Colorado is trying to do that to meld uh, and find a middle ground more so uh, than say, maybe things have been done in the past. I just don't know how you feel about that. No, I, I think that a lot of those, whether they're intentional or not, because I know that there's some of these um, these different proposals and some of some of these things that are not intended to specifically, you know, unify or unite some of these, these different interests. Right. I think the unintended consequences that they are. And, you know, if we can ride that wave and take advantage of that momentum, um, it only serves to be beneficial, you know, to, to everybody involved. And that's, you know, that's the, the wolf as a species. That's all the people, regardless of your perspective, that's the, the agencies that are responsible for management of them. Um, it's helpful. No, I can imagine that. What are some of the things that you're telling people, whether it's yourself, your colleagues, because we were talking a little bit about, you know, there's always going to be myths and stories. And and I heard this from, you know, my friend in another state. I heard this from my friend in another state or whatever it may be about wolves in particular. What's the what's the best way that you guys are combating sort of the, again, I don't want to say myth, but the the stories that come out that might be overblown either one way or the other to give people really the correct information and, and the truth about how wolves react and, and really their their place in the ecosystem and, and things like that so that the public is fully informed. You know, so much at this point is just based on kind of that, the, the, the really general textbook information on not Colorado wolves, you know, not any other specific population of wolves. It's just wolves in general, you know, what do wolves generally as a species, what do they do? What do they not do? Um, A lot of that information is, is rooted in just those generalizations. The disadvantage of that is that for so many of the other species, you know, when people call up and ask about bears, I mean, we can give them, we've got, we wrote the book on, on a lot of black bear management and especially here in the Aspen area, you know, we can tell them this is how Aspen black bears react to people and what you need to do. And, and it, it may be different than black bears in Tahoe or someplace else, you know, so we can, we can kind of paint that picture and give them a more specific answer to mm-hmm. their question. Um, it just, it, it, right now it's so generic. And so we kind of always insert that little caveat of adaptability, you know, being adaptable and knowing that th- there's going to be some of these things that don't hold true. And there's going to be portions of that too that change and that Colorado will probably write a very unique chapter in how wolves live in this state versus how they may have existed in other locations. Yeah. It seems, it seems as though people, 
in general are they, they fear the unknown, obviously. And I think when people in agencies or who have knowledge of certain things, when they say, well, we're not sure, I don't know, they automatically assume that it's a bad thing. And you guys have really, your agency, yourself, everyone seems to be taking that in stride fairly well in terms of saying, listen, we are doing our due diligence with the research. We are reaching out to other professionals in this area. So it's not as though the work is not being put in do you get people recognizing that effort more as we get closer to this, that you've put in the time, the effort, you've gone out and done community events, you've done, you did the event in Aspen, you guys are doing town halls. It's not as though you, it was wolves are being reintroduced and then everybody hides. You guys have been very out front. Do you feel that's garnered more support and it's, again, kind of moving in, in a positive, more positive direction? I don't think it's hurt the cause at all. Um, I think with without that, if that had not been the tact, I think we'd be in a far worse situation now than what we, you know, not saying we're in a bad situation. Um, there's still a lot of conjecture and there's, you know, a lot of uneasiness out there. But I think it's mitigated some of that sentiment amongst the communities. Um it, there still is a, a lot of uncertainty and, you know, it's disconcerting for everybody. They want to know the answer and we want to know the answer. <laughs> we just don't have an answer to give, yeah. but um, you know, that that's, it's been beneficial just being forward facing in that regard. There is still a lot of the, the, I don't know, you know, in response to a question and, and, the, and part of that, I get that it's, it seems like it's almost a cop out in just providing the, Hey, I'm leaving, you know, leaving the door open so that whatever happens, I'm still right type of attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of it's just genuinely that that's the truth. You know, when people ask, Hey, how, whenever we put wolves here, how will they, how would they respond? And, you know, what do you guys expect of them if we were to put them here? And the answer of, I don't know, is that's as accurate as, as anybody can, can give you. And that's the truth, you know, and I think more than anything, I think we're trying to be very, you know, very transparent and truthful and even almost vulnerable in recognizing that, yeah, I'm supposed to be the wildlife expert. But whenever and when I say I don't know, it's not coming from a place of of wanting to just cop out and and give you an open ended answer. It's I'd love to give you an answer, but I'm as uneasy as you in that I really don't know what to expect. Um, And I don't want to you know, hypothesize that this is, I don't want to point you in the wrong direction and say, this is what is, you know, you should expect or will happen. Yeah. And this is probably an extension of that. And you don't want to hypothesize, of course, but do you guys have any confident, well, do you have any concerns about ungulate populations at, at this moment with what, what you know now? Yes and no. Um, I mean, our, you know, our, our state is plagued by some, some disease considerations and arguably, you know, you go through the literature, you go through the science and there are places where it it is of benefit to those, to managing those populations, um, where we don't have other tools to do so appropriately. Maybe, you know, I'm still hopeful that that's another tool in the toolbox. We like tools. We like options. This is a consideration that maybe that's helpful to us. Um, there are places in the state where we have been struggling and our populations are, have been on a strategic decline, you know, over the, mm. the last 20, 30 years, and we can't really stop the hemorrhaging. And so in that regard, we look at those ones and there's concern that is this going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back? Right. And, you know, this this was this will be the last time that we get to manage elk in those portions of the state. 
so there's the that that concern's real, you know, and we're we haven't kind of written that off and and there's that's a, a possibility, a potential. But again, we don't know. And you know, the one thing I've learned in in a couple decades of wildlife management is expect the unexpected and things that we think we know or we, that we predict, there are always those exceptions. Yeah. Have there been any conclusions in the last several years? I mean, I know a few years ago I heard I heard from from someone who was, I think maybe I don't remember training to work with CPW or something of that, something of that sort. But he he was very concerned about the calving rate in southwestern Colorado specifically, and that's definitely a concern for some people. I mean, has there been any further? I mean, I'm I'm assuming there's ongoing research, but has there been any further conclusions about what's going on in that respect? Because because yeah, of course, you know, a new predator on the landscape and an unprepared elk herd. Um, that's definitely going to be a concern for for people in, in at least that part of the state. You're right. And that, you know, interestingly, that part of the state, um, quote unquote, it, it extends up into the areas that I manage where we've been seeing some calf cow ratios that are lower than what it is necessary to sustain a population. And that's been an ongoing trend for at least the last 20 years, um, as, as we know, and we're not exactly sure how to fix that. Um, you know, there, there's different things that are probably contributing to it. You're, you're correct. We do have an ongoing research study that we are getting ready to finish the data collection portion of that. Followed by that will be the assessment, you know, and analysis of it. And then they'll come out with some sort of um, an official publication that, you know, kind of shows what they learned from it. It won't be the silver bullet. It won't get us, you know, the, the right answer, but it'll give us more information to try to make some, um, some adjustments. So that's, that's part of it. Definitely. And, th- and this is not, you just, you just made me think of something. This is not a challenge question whatsoever. I mean, this from hundred percent curiosity, but w- in a state where, where elk hunting tags are so liberally handed out, wh- how, why is that? So in, in, if there's so many issues with, with kind of the, the elk, you know, the sustainability of elk numbers. Uh, so it's kind of, you know, and it, it depends on how you look at the state as a state, you know, as a whole, you look at the, the the entirety of Colorado. Yes, we are very liberal with our elk licenses. We have a lot of elk licenses. Um, if you start paring it down to like really specific geographic portions of the state, yeah. uh, right here locally around Aspen, uh, the Roaring Fork Valley, we don't have a lot of elk licenses really? available. Okay. You know, we have over-the-counter bull tags. Sure. But when it comes to the cow portion of the population, um, you know, the reproductive portion, we are fairly restrictive. We are very restrictive. And actually, for the last, what, six years here, we've almost been bottomed out on what we can offer the public. So, you know, there is a there's a, a large story, and then there's a more site-specific story associated with that. I see. Um, you know, one thing you, you bring up there, and I know, you know, some folks are probably aware of this, but unprecedented this year this past winter was harsh on us as it was for a lot of the west yeah and we saw snow totals and snowpacks that were we haven't seen in decades if ever and that took a toll on a lot of our the northern portions of our state um, and a lot of the elk populations there and we reduced licenses by you know a lot i mean we're we're, we're reducing licenses by um over thirty thousand tags which for wow. our state, wow. significant. I mean, that's that's precedent setting. That is unheard of. Um, it was very significant. We had a lot of discussion about it. And a lot of those units that we historically have relied on to kind of be the, the units that drive our overall statewide elk population up, 
this year we're we're scratching our heads to see what's going to come of it because we lost um whole age classes in those populations holy crap that is crazy wow. i mean do you what and this is just obviously off topic but now you're you're bringing up other stuff that's um, i'm curious about but when you guys see mortality because of because of unusually big snow loads are you is it mortality just because of access to to food like ability to to get to food or is it um more physical inability to travel through landscapes or or more susceptibility to predation or what do you guys see the the what's causing the mortality when it comes to snow i'm gonna answer with a yes oh okay cool (laughs) everything you all all the above um yes it it contributed to all of that you know we had uh, a lot of it's related to snow depth and inability to find food. I mean, we had animals that were outright starving. To yeah. That's probably the dominant one. 100%. Um, you know, there were animals that were being restricted to highways because that that's, you know, that's where it was being plowed. I see. That's where they could move was highways. And we had events where, you know, unintentionally a semi would come down the highway and there'd be a whole herd of pronghorn <sighs> or antelope or elk bedded on the highway. And they had oh, nowhere to go because there's a 10 foot wall of snow that, that they can't jump out of the way. Um, you know, those kinds of things. The, the, the other big factor was disease. You know, when it comes to chronic wasting disease and you start concentrating these animals to where tiny feed grounds, yep, yeah. historically it was yep. 200 animals there. And now you take it and you extrapolate that and it's 2000 animals in the same location. Disease runs rampant, you like know, so there's just a lot of these things that kind of build on one another. Um, one of the considerations that, you know, we don't know, but we're trying to, to at least pay attention to is, we, we know that we've had these types of events similar, not maybe to not the same degree, but we've had these kind of large winter events in the past. Our populations were able to rebound. You know, they were healthy enough yeah. that they would rebuild and it may take five years. It may take eight years, but we, we we'd come back from it. Um, introduction of another apex predator. We're not sure, you know, how quick that rebound um, may be or, or if it does affect our ability to rebound. So it's just something, you know, we're not saying that it won't happen or, or now we can't regrow elk, but it may it may be another point in there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know how you're supposed to, you're supposed to think about this because, you know, a big winter is great for, for several reasons. The higher elevations, they, they seem to want to turn into a tinderbox. If the snow doesn't, doesn't hang on long enough, you want water after these drought years in the West, et cetera. There, there are plenty of reasons to want the snow to hang on for as long as possible, but it can also be hard on ungulates which we really want to thrive during these reintroductions. And it all seems to just be conflicting and, 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 uh, yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. You you have one of the hardest jobs out there, to be honest. I don't know how you (laughs) manage for any of it for real, but, but thank God for you guys. Right. Matt's like, that's my, that's my day. (laughs) He wakes up just thinking about that stuff all the time. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, that's gotta be just, it's like one more thing on top of the pile. Right. Oh my goodness. I mean, yeah. Like what's, that's what I mean. It, it, yeah, it's it's so complex. And, and Steven's not wrong. We, we've, gosh, we've done 150 episodes or so. And it's just everything that we've collected that the people we talk to, the events we go to, it just, there's always something. There's always a new perspective. There's always, you know, you think there's, a, people are so funny because they think it's only one way or the other. And just what you laid out is another two or three factors on top of the factor that people are most concerned about. It's like they don't, do, do you notice that like you must have the wide worldview, Matt, as opposed to somebody who comes in is just saying, I can't, 
I can't, you know, ski, you know, somebody who's outdoor recreational, oh, there's not enough snow for me to have the outdoor recreation I had the year before. Oh, I can't find the bull out that I found the year before because they all, you know, whatever. It's you have to zoom out, like Stephen said, and you have to encapsulate all of this all the time. <laughs> it is it's an interesting thing. Um, I think it teaches a lot, you know, a lot of us to try to be that eternal optimist. <laughs> you kind of have to be because it's it it would be way easy to fixate on the negative side of all of those things. Um, you know, Stephen, you you brought up a good point. You get a catastrophic winter like this where we have 10, 14 foot, you know, snow on on top of all of our winter range, nothing can get to it. You can see the doom and gloom and say, oh man, that that's gonna ruin us. But like you said, there's a positive twist where, hey, we got water. Yeah. We haven't had that in the better part of a right. decade. Lots of water. You know, that's a that's a really awesome thing to have water for for a change. Um, so there is there's the definite the the pro side of every con in there. And you just have to be able to to fixate on what is the good out of this whole thing and how do we use that good, you know, in the context of everything else. No, I mean that's the stuff you want. I mean, we we got record snow by us in in LA in, in, at the sanctuary where we were we were looking at I think almost three or four feet, and we it's I mean Stephen came out not too long ago, and and the creek is roaring like a river. <laughs> Couldn't even I mean, film it's near. It's never it been that way before. <laughs> Couldn't even film near it. I was like, this is insane. We've never seen this, but it's yeah. the same thing. It's yeah, it's you're, you're right, Matt. It, it's looking for the pros inside the cons yeah. uh, or in, inside the entire event. I mean, for you, what's the what's the pro that you see if somebody was to give you the con of this whole, let's just say, encapsulation of reintroduction? Mm. Um, what's the what's the pinpointed pro that you what's your go to that you say this is the ultimate pro that I'm seeing for all of this when it when it happens by the end of the year? Um, I. Honestly, it has less to do with like the the actual biological management of the resource. And I think the pro is just as a as a government agency, you know, going through this whole process, it's identifying, you know, we we're, we're, we've have learned and we have seen a lot of good come of this public engagement process. We have learned a lot about, you know, how the what the public thinks about wildlife in this state. And not not even just in this state, but across the country, um, you know, we're, we get calls and we get participation from folks around the world and definitely across the United States. But we're learning a heck of a lot about how to manage wildlife in the context of people. And that in, in my job, um, you can't do one or the other. It's not strictly just biology or just people management. You have to be able to mix the two together. And I think this exercise is really given us a, a, a unique opportunity to kind of figure that out, try to excel at it. And then hopefully, you know, fast forward another 10 years when this is just a chapter in the book that, you know, this happened a while back, we're more successful in what we do because we learned how to figure some of that stuff out. Um, we were forced into that, that mold and, and we had to overcome. Man, that's a great, that's a great yeah. way to look at it. And it's, it's so, you're right. I think the public engagement is, is really incredible to to see. I mean, where what's the furthest place that you've gotten comment from, or or somebody that's reached out to either in support or whatever it may be, just in throughout this whole process. What what's something that sticks out to you? I'm not even sure. You know, a lot of those comments were being um they were being handled. They were being um 
you know, they, they were being captured by our policy and planning section. So I'd have to reference that staff. But I, I know, you know, this comes on the heels of, of some other mountain lion management plans and bear management where we were getting comments from folks over, you know, like in Turkey and in, in Germany. Wow. And, you know, people are paying attention to a lot. Colorado is Colorado, you know, and it's, it is one of many states in the United States. But the fact that there are people internationally paying attention to how in the United States we manage our wildlife resource, pretty astounding, you know, that, that there's something to be said about that. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting when you look at it, that the West is such an amazing place when everything is in balance or when it can be as much as balance as possible. And I think we see this. I think when people go to Yellowstone and they see they, you know, if they get, I don't know what the, what it's called, but where you get to see all of the the predators in one day where it's, you see the fox, coyote, the bear, the mountain lion mm-hmm. and the wolf, or it was something it's called yeah. something, but to be able to have that because most countries don't get that. And that's why the, these states like Colorado, like Montana, like, you know, these are so important to the world as a whole because they're in their natural setting. They're not most of the time not habituated and they're not dealing with people. And I think that's such a huge thing to have for that. I I know we touched on this in in the event, Matt, do you see or anticipate more people traffic when this is ultimately started and in and in the process of putting wolves there do you do you anticipate this as an agency are you do you have guardrails in in place for things like that for maybe there's an overflow ecotourism is there something that's coming up there for you guys we didn't really touch on in the event but i'm i'm don't know if you guys are having that in the plan or, or looking at that as an agency and, and staffing wise. um definitely short term i think you know within that the first few years of the plan um especially with these these actual actually specified reintroduction events, there's definitely going to be a lot of, um, you know, a lot of attention and focus given on, on those, what it means, what it looks like, how it actually takes place, you know, what the functionality of it is. So I think there's going to be a lot of it there. As you start to move down the road and focus on things in maybe five years or 10 years, or even, you know, if as they, they start progressing through the phases of our plan um, and maybe they're, they get to that point where they're, um, like a non-game species or something, you know, and they're not no longer a, a threatened species per se in the state. Trying to figure out what that means, I think that there's still, you know, yes, I would say yes, there that is a a part of it. And where I I come from that is, you know, thinking about black bears. I mean, that's that's a dime a dozen, but it's amazing to me here in Aspen, you know, right down the street from where where we were that evening, there are people that come here from across the the country that go to Aspen because they know their chances of seeing a black bear in the quote unquote wild, you know, it's just not one in captivity. It's yes. It's in downtown Aspen. They're going to see a bear. If they, if they go outside for 15 minutes, there's going to be a bear wandering down the street somewhere. Um, You know, it's that novelty there. So I think if we, if we're successful in managing for a sustainable population in the state, which is what the plan articulates and what we're our agency striving for. Yes. I, I see people, that are going to be seeking it out in order to, just like you mentioned, they're going to be coming here to the West to see what a wolf looks like in a natural setting amongst a natural environment. What's the, and I, and I didn't, I, I read most of the plan when it was in the, the draft phase. What is the, if you can divulge this, what's the sustainable population 
at? Because I know again, or or what's the proposed uh, stable population that Colorado was looking at in terms of a floor, a ceiling? Was any of that finalized? What where is that sit? Because I know people will probably ask about that uh, because of the numbers that have been getting kicked around in Idaho and Montana. So I just don't know um, if that's been finalized or is that such an ongoing process? It is. I mean, it, it's embedded in in the plan. Um, you know, as far as being able to just pinpoint like a a single number, not uh, it's not as simple as that. You know, even with the other predatory species right. that we manage in the state, um, you know, for our ungulate populations, our prey populations, we have objective ranges. So, you know, it's kind of a non-specific biology um, when it comes to predators. I mean, we based it on on habitat availability. Yeah, availability. Excuse me. Availability. <laughs> uh, you know, and and so we kind of manage based off of a lot of what we would expect and what's appropriate based on the the habitat that's available there. Um, so it it's it's specific. I mean, it's kind of outlined in there. Um, honestly, I'd have to go back and take a look to to see exactly the number. I know a lot of it was was intentionally left in there as being a, kind of an adaptable figure, recognizing that. You know, once things ha- start happening, we're probably going to have to, you know, as far as densities, pack size, those things, we're not going to know that until we know that, until we actually see it, witness it, and figure out that there in this area here, we were assuming that a pack size of six was kind of our max. And suddenly now we've got packs of 12 or 15, and we realize that there's a different tolerance amongst the resource. Mm. When this, what's going to be the, trying to word this correctly when they when they obviously when the wolves actually get on the ground and that corridor i think that a lot of people have we we talked about this about the mexican gray wolf too and trying to finish that corridor basically from alaska through canada and all the way through the states has there been any discussion or talk or and i know it's kind of a i don't want to say a woo-woo-y type thing but the core the wolf corridor will essentially be reestablished that was in the West that you have all the way through there. Has there been a sense of pride? I mean, obviously nothing has happened as of yet, but is there a sense of somewhat accomplishment that if this is completed and managed correctly, that you will, that Colorado really is that last piece of this puzzle of this puzzle and of this corridor for this animal that for all intents and purposes was extirpated across the West and that you guys and this agency and this state is part of the final piece of that. You know, that's a really, really interesting thing that I had not heard brought up, um, honestly. And, and it, it seems, I mean, it, it seems so plain to see that and to recognize it. Um, but I had never necessarily been asked that question. It, it hadn't been a focus of all of this process. Um, it is significant. I think one of the things that's kind of been standing in the way of it is, all of the, you know, our, our political boundaries that are drawn around some of that difficult to differentiate, you know, even so, so specific as some of the political boundaries being wildlife management ones where we're trying to be very specific in not releasing some, you know, releasing these wolves on top of Mexican gray wolves and, you know, complicating some of those efforts um, and trying to almost differentiate and and be respective of, of those subpopulations there. Um, so yes, they're wolves and they're, you know, it, it helps complete that corridor, but almost to this point, we've been 
intentionally trying to differentiate and separate that out and not create that connectivity just because we we didn't want one to influence the other. Um, so it's that's an interesting thing you mentioned. It is, man, that's one I'd have to take a little more time to sit down and think about because there is a, a lot of significance associated with that. So for you, for the public who's listening to this, who's gotten to know you, who's gotten to know a little bit more about where things sit, what's the best place for them to find resources, information about not only the wolf management plan, how can they track things going forward? Because we are, it seems like I know you said you're in the the planning stages still, but from here on till, like you were saying, roughly January, uh, December, January, till Paul's ultimately hit the ground, what's the best place for people to find this information, find these resources, contact the office to, if they have any questions about anything moving forward? The best answer to that kind of one-stop shopping is just going to our website. You know, like like you mentioned, um, we've been trying to be as intentional as possible about providing all that information on the web and giving people kind of access to, even if they can't find the answer there, at least it gives them um, some sort of direction or a link to where to find that information. But our, you know, our state website is CPW, um, Colorado Parks and Wildlife, CPW dot state dot co dot us and right now it's been on there for the last several years on the top tab you know one of the the bulleted items is the wolf reintroduction management um and if you click on that it takes you to the wolf page and everything that the agency has um all the links we have to all of our comment pages all of the the upcoming public meetings everything else is hosted right there um even anything that we've done through an outside external you know, organization, um, kind of a, a PR firm, all of that is hosted there. So still the best place to reference that information, figure out which office to call, um, you know, who's in charge of what portion of this this plan, all of that's hosted on that same site. Perfect. My last question for you, Matt, is when you hear the word wolf, what's the thing that comes to your mind? <laughs> um, honestly, you know, and I say this kind of in a joking manner, but when I hear that, it it equates to just the, the number of meetings and phone calls and paperwork and everything else that that is is to follow. <laughs> um, you know, right now that's kind of the buzzword, and it's just interesting because while I still have you know responsibility for everything else we discussed at the beginning of the program, um, this is just one of those add on topics, and this is in and itself. You know, this is a full time job just alone, and at the end of the day. It, it's a full-time job. We're accepting that responsibility, but we we want to get it right. You know, we want to be able to own this and look back on it saying that we did everything in our power to make this possible. And we did, did it right by, um, you know, the citizens of the state, by the, the, nat- the resource of Colorado and by the species, you know, we, we didn't check un- or leave any of those boxes unchecked. So we're, we're still working toward it. We're going to misstep here and there, but we, we want to, with a straight face test, be able to look at at the public and say, Hey, did our best. And we did it best on all fronts. Awesome. Matt. Hey, listen, we, we appreciate you, everybody at the agency, everybody who's going to come on board throughout this whole process and just the way that you guys are forefront and giving everybody the information they need. So Matt Yamashita, I'm sure we'll be talking more in the future. Uh, just stick around for a moment uh, when we sign off. But thank you for your time. Thank you for all of your effort and listen, continued success in not only your career, Uh, but just really handling all the things that you guys have to handle in Colorado. Really appreciate you, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. Absolutely. How's to you all out there? And Stephen, I'll be with you next time. Bye, everybody. 
Looking for more information about Wolf Connection or the podcast? Please visit our website at wolfconnection.org where you can donate, sponsor a wolf, or become a volunteer.